wish you each God's blessing today. The title of the message for today is Laying Up Treasures in Heaven. And the text is taken from Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I'll be referring to that, reading at least some of the chapter. So I would encourage you to follow after. I want to read, first of all, the uh, text says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Just... By way of announcement, I know what it's like to be sitting facing this way and not seeing the back, but the ambulance did arrive and they're being taken care of. So our text raises some questions. What are treasures in heaven? How do we get them? How do we accumulate treasure in heaven. Um, The Bible a number of times and one of the times is in uh, 1 Timothy 6 says we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out. So how do we accumulate something in heaven? We can't take it along. What good do treasures in heaven do? And another question related to this, is this a commandment? Is it a divine suggestion? If it's a commandment, we better know what it's about. Says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. <clears throat> I've been, I've known for a number of weeks that uh, I was asked to preach. It was originally going to be last Sunday and changed to this Sunday. And uh, so Orpha suggested that I preach about laying up treasures in heaven. And then a week or two later, she asked me, well, what are you going to preach about? Well, I said, laying up treasures in heaven. Well, she said, hmm, that's kind of interesting, seeing you're spending your whole summer painting and remodeling and improving our house and garage and property. How does that fit together?
I'm not sure I know. <laughs> but let's look at the context here. It seems to me that verses 19 to 21 are kind of a summary, a bringing together or, or yeah, summarizing the first part of the chapter. And maybe even some in chapter 5, but I chose to use chapter 6 here. So let's look at chapter 6. The first four verses talk about giving alms, giving to people in need. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Okay? So, I think that can answer part of our question. Treasures in heaven are not giving in a way that you are honored. So let's continue. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Barely I say unto you, they have their reward. Okay, that's where it ends. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. It doesn't specify when that will be. Okay, so that's giving alms. The next part is about praying. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. That reward is done. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what, need, what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And then it continues with what we call the Lord's Prayer. I don't think I'll read it. That's not necessarily the thrust of the message this morning. But notice verses 14 and 15. It talks about forgiveness. <clears throat> but if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And I guess I, I skipped 14, but it's basically the same message. 
So we've been thinking about giving of our resources, prayer. It tells us how to pray to have an immediate reward that doesn't last. It talks about forgiving. And one more thing here, and that's fasting. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Men see them and praise them, and that's where it ends. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast. But unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Notice that phrase Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And that appears here three times in relation to giving, in relation to prayer. And in relation to fasting. Much of the rest of the chapter here is similar to what uh, Floyd read from Luke 12. And I think that can be brought together, can be summarized in verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things, the things that you need to live, will be added unto you. Turn with me also to Matthew 19. And in Matthew 19... Jesus tells someone specifically something to do and they will have treasures in heaven. So, again, the question is, how do we lay up treasures in heaven? Well, for this man, Jesus told him very specifically. So let's look at that. The context is the man that we call the rich young ruler who, according to at least one of the Gospels, came running to Jesus with an apparent desire to know, really know the answer to this question. What do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus told him very specifically what he needs to do to... Lay up treasure in heaven. What was it? Well, I think there were at least two things. Okay? Jesus said, keep the commandments. And he responded with, well, I've already done that. Okay? And I think Jesus approved that. That's good. But then he also said, 
that he should give his resources to the poor. He added to come follow Jesus. But notice that that comes after Jesus said that he would have treasure in heaven. So it seems like what Jesus was telling this man was that there are two things you need to have treasure in heaven. Keep the commandments. In other words, serve God, obey him, do your best for him, and give your resources to the poor. Now, I think it's fair to ask a question. Jesus was talking to one specific person. Does that apply to me? We'll let that question hanging for right now. In Mark 10, verse 21, and there's a similar verse in Luke. It's stated just a little bit differently, and it has a little bit more implication of involving the commandments. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. In other words, what he had already done was great, but there was one more thing. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. So the idea of giving to those in need. Just a few verses from Proverbs on that theme. Proverbs 14.31 He that oppresseth the poor... Reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. 17.5 Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his maker, and he that is glad at calamities shall not go unpunished. 19.31 he that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. I thought of Zacchaeus. You know, we find that account in Luke 19. And I find what Jesus says about Zacchaeus interesting. He says, salvation has come to this house. And when did Jesus say that? After Zacchaeus said he would give half of his resources to the poor and do restitution. Turn with me also to Luke 12. I want to note a few things there in the chapter that 
uh, Floyd Red. The parable of a certain rich man and how he was going to accumulate his resources and save them for himself. Notice the response to that. In verse 20, God said to him, you're a fool. Now, in Matthew 5, it talks about using those words. But here, God says this to this certain rich man. And in verse 21, it says, so is he. Okay, in other words, he's a fool. That layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In Matthew 6, we saw the verse that talks about laying up treasure in heaven. This is the opposite of it, it talks about laying up treasure for yourself. Verse 33, in the same chapter, Jesus talking to his disciples, says, Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that fail not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. Compare verses 21 and 33. They seem to be opposites. And they seem to tell us about how to lay up treasure in heaven. I want to also read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. In verse 19, it has this phrase, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. It seems to me that that's very similar to laying up treasure in heaven. seems to me it's just a, a different way of phrasing it. Okay, starting in verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. 
And as I understand what is being said, it means that verse 17 and 18 and maybe other things preceding, but that this is laying up in store a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now, changing ideas just a little bit, but with a similar theme, I want to turn to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul talks about the strife, I guess you could call it, in the Corinthian church where they were following different leaders, some Apollos, some Paul, some somebody else. And then in verse 11, he says that there is only one foundation for the church of Christ, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, what about building on that foundation? I, I think the, the idea here is related to what we've been talking about, laying up treasure in heaven. This gives it a little different twist of building the church. How should that be done? And in verse 12, it mentions building with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Okay, as we look at these six things that are mentioned, it's not hard to see that gold, silver, and precious stones are more fire-resistant than wood, hay, and stubble. Verse 13 talks about fire. Okay, so... As we build, someday our building of the church is going to be tried by fire. Will it last? Will it stand? Will it be what's represented with gold, silver, and precious stone? But preacher, if you're building the church, it's got to last. What if I do it for my own glory? Will that last? What if I do it for me instead of for God? You know, as believers, we can do good things. For wrong motives. It 
So how do we build with things that last? I think number one is be a child of God. And I think of the verse in John 1, verses 12 and 13. Verse 11 talks about those that would not receive Christ when he came. And verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, if you want to build in a way that lasts, first of all, you need to be a child of God. I think of the account in Matthew 25, and I'm not going to turn there. I think we're all familiar with that. You know, the sheep and the goats, and uh, some of them are told... You know, I was in need and you didn't help me. And others are told, I was in need and you helped me. And they say, well, when did we do it? What was the difference? I think of the verses in Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about having the mind of Christ. And we're thinking about building God's church in a way that it will last. And Paul suggests here, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that's the mind that was willing to leave the glories of heaven and come to earth and being on earth to be willing to die an infamous death. To build for eternity, that needs to be our mindset. I think also of walking in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And verses 24 to 26. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another envying one another. We need to be discerning 
Ephesians 5 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, looking around you and being aware of your surroundings, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore be ye not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. As we build for eternity... It needs to be done under the direction of the Spirit. And it needs to be done according to the will of God. Randy read this morning from Hebrews. I'd like for us to look at Hebrews 4, verse 16. And... Maybe I'm misapplying the verse, I don't know, but I'd like to apply it to this situation. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Find the grace to help when there's a need. I think that's how we lay up treasures in heaven. I think that's how we build the church with things that will not burn up. We come to the throne of grace and we ask God for his direction, for the ability to do it his way. And for grace to help in time of need. <clears throat> do I do this perfectly? No. I have a little story from this week. As an example of how not to lay up treasures in heaven, I guess. Willie Stoltz, who's had the idea of going to Coatesville and setting up a table on the sidewalk and selling Christian books and Bibles. And he wondered if I would accompany him and uh, because there are quite a few Hispanics in that area of Coatesville. So sure, so... Uh, three weeks ago and two weeks ago, something like that, we went and we're planning to go again on Thursday of this week. Well, as I already mentioned, we're working on the house and things just aren't progressing as fast as they should. And Thursday morning, I had my plans for the day. And about mid-forenoon, I remembered, oh yeah, this is the day to go to Coatesville. So I text Willie and I said, you know, I kind of have plans for the day. I don't think I can go today. I wondered afterwards, was I just laying up treasures for myself? So thinking about all this, does this mean I need to change jobs? The short answer is maybe, 
but probably not. Maybe. Many mission boards are looking for volunteers. Very few schools around have an overabundance of teachers. And there are other things you could mention. So, maybe. And we have some examples with us here this morning. You know, Heather's planning to learn Arabic. DJs are going to Asia. So maybe. Maybe it does mean changing jobs. Probably not. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, and taken out of context, which we often do, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all for the glory of God. So can we do what we're doing now for the glory of God? Can we do what we're doing now in a way that lays up treasure in heaven? I think we can. And I would encourage us to. And if God calls us to change jobs, by all means do. But that's not what I'm promoting this morning. 2 Thessalonians 3 encourages us to work quietly and eat our own bread. Ephesians 4.28 talks about working so that we have to give to those that need. I think laying up treasure in heaven and building with gold, silver, and precious stones has more to do with a vibrant relationship with God, being led by his spirit and building relationships with those around us than it does with the specific kind of work that we do. You're a parent. You need to support your family. You need to work. You need to keep the house. We can do those things to the honor and glory of God. Most of you know what 1 Corinthians 15 talks about. The last part of the chapter talks about victory over death. It's often used at funerals, that kind of thing. And the last verse says, after talking about our immortality to come and Christ's victory over death, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And maybe that labor means specifically, you know, church work, whatever. I, I don't know. But I'd like to apply it to what we're doing. Our labor can be in the Lord. So let's remember that we are saved by grace through faith. And that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And let's do what we're doing to lay up treasures in heaven. Kneel with me for prayer.